0: Hello everyone and welcome again to How Digital Technology Changes Work, the podcast from MWD Advisors. Um, Neil and Craig are here with you again today. That's me and Craig. Hello Craig. Hello that's me. And we've got uh, the usual 30 minutes or so of um, of Gubbin's um, chat about uh, the technology industry and and what's going on. And uh, Today specifically we've got two topics for you. I'm going to talk about tibco and its ongoing evolution and then craig you're going to talk about something um to do
1: with consent what are you going to talk about i'm, I'm talking a bit i'm going to talk about something uh, from a company called humanity.co and and they're got kind of global consent register ledger thingy and you know, more more on that later that sounds good all right so um
0: uh, i will Start off by talking about Tibco and its evolution, if that's all right with you.
1: Go ahead. Um,
0: okay, I will. Uh, um, so I've been following Tibco as an industry analyst for i was trying to work this out. I think it's it's over 15 years now, which is uh, slightly alarming. Um, since long before it was taken private in 2014, and even since before I started um, MWD Advisors, which was in 2005. Um, So over that period I've seen it morph from being uh, what it started out at which was a pure messaging middleware technology vendor to being um, a more diversified middleware vendor and then what I would say is an over diversified vendor of a number of platforms and also industry applications of various kinds Um, and finally to the company it is today. Um, And So it's four years since it was acquired by a private equity firm, uh, Vista Equity Partners, uh, it was in 2014, and Tipco really is an awful lot more focused than it was, which is a good thing. Um, The the product portfolio is is much more slimmed down and more focused than it was, and there's no doubt that the company is benefiting from this improved focus. It it was really struggling to to come up with any kind of sensible way of explaining what it did or, or really grow in any deliberate way prior to its uh, its transition in 2014. And that's really changed quite markedly. And there's, although there's still, you know, a significant number of products, um, there's, they're really grouped into two sides of, of a digital platform. Um, so um, one side of the portfolio is all about uh, automation and integration. And the other side <clears throat> is all about analytics and insight and um, so they, they they fit together really quite well and the company's doing lots of good things that to try and bring all the major pieces of the portfolio up to date with trends that I'm sure most people will be familiar with around operating models and platform architectures and development tools and methodologies so for example um, really embracing cloud delivery for for their services and of course subscriptions around that Um, microservices and open APIs, um, use of open source and actually creation and contribution to open source projects, uh, and also containerization and serverless deployment mechanisms, that kind of stuff. So it's doing uh, an awful lot of stuff to to kind of re-architect the core products in its portfolio. And it's also doing things to link the two sides of its portfolio together more, which, Anybody who's followed us for a while will know, you know, we talk about quite a lot. If you're serious about digital transformation, you need to build a platform that doesn't only give you the automation and integration you need, but it actually also gives you uh, gives you data and instrumentation so that you can get insights about what's working and what's not, not working, and then make decisions and, and you know, drives changes in that platform. So you get that virtuous kind of feedback loop um, and so, for example, um, in linking these two things together, um, it's uh, enabling its, its flagship Spotfire Analytics tool to be able to ingest streaming event data from infrastructure of various kinds. That's one example. Another example is it's building some some demonstration cloud services out of its new TIBCO Labs initiative um, that showcase how Spotfire can be used alongside things like TIBCO Cloud Integration and TIBCO Cloud Live Apps, which is this kind of low code workflow app Mm. development tool. So, you know, it's doing a lot of stuff to to fundamentally re-architect the key parts of its portfolio, put them on the cloud, and it's also doing things to link both sides of the portfolio together. So this is all really good stuff. Um, I think um, it's in much better shape product-wise than it has been for for really quite a long time. Um, And a but, and there's always a but, isn't there? Uh, so, Tipco, you know, TIPCO is making really quite heavy investments in R&D, um, and they're definitely paying off. But th- the question then remains, um, where's that return from that investment going to come from? Um, what was clear from walking around the conference that I was at last week, the Tipco Now conference, um, listening to companies talk and seeing them. Respond and, and ask questions in sessions. It's clear that you know a lot of the largest companies that provide the bulk of Tipco's revenue today. They're kind of kicking the tires of this new stuff, mm. uh, and they're trying stuff out, and they're running pilots, and they're interested to see where it's all going. But they're, you know, an awful lot of them are very happy in their comfort zone of using um, kind of heritage on-premise, you know, middleware and integration technology. And they're not yet ready to dive in, uh, you know, into using uh, TIBCO's cloud-based services in a big way. So it's a fairly conservative group, right? So where, where's TIBCO going to get that return from if it's not from those, you know, big um, heritage, kind of mm. large enterprise customers? And this is really where um, uh, TIBCO's recent acquisition of uh, Scribe Software, which is that iPaaS specialist, they bought earlier in the summer. This is where that comes in, and I've talked about it before here and on, on the website. And that's because um, Scribe's business, Scribe Software's business is a template for where Tipco wants to go and where it needs to go. Um, so um, Scribe uh, built its business serving mid-sized organizations. Um, almost all of its business comes from, um, through partners, either partners reselling its technology and building custom solutions based on that, or indeed embedding it into their own products and services. And um, most of its business is from cloud-based subscriptions. And this is, is, you know, Tipco is very clear that this is what it wants to do. You know, it wants to continue to push very hard on cloud-based subscriptions. It wants to go much more aggressively after mid-sized businesses, and it wants to do as much business as possible through partners. and so the Scribe acquisition is not just about technology and about that particular piece. It's also about trying to get some of that DNA into the broader company. And, um,
1: ah, yeah. A, a, a quick thought there in the God knows how many years, as you mentioned at the beginning, that you've been, um, uh, looking at Tipco, what, what's their history like in terms of absorbing and, um, Positively responding to new DNA through acquisitions. Do they, do they have a good track record of this or does the good tend to be sort of dissipated and washed away
0: um, That is a very germane question um, And the answer <laughs> is the answer is mixed. I think that there have been some examples where um, Tipco has managed to do great stuff with acquisitions spotfire is, is um, yeah. a great matter is another um, however um, you know there've been other things which just haven't really worked out. I, I mean, I can. There's probably half a dozen companies that it bought in the couple of years prior to its 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 um, private equity acquisition, where it was really going after a sort of acquisition-driven growth strategy, where it was really, you know, purely about oh, you know, where can we find fast-growing companies and just kind of add them into to what we're doing, and mm-hmm. you know, really failed to capitalise in a big way on 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 many of those at all um, so I would say mixed is the answer and, and that's why the scribe thing is so important I think it's potentially very very beneficial but it also is something that needs an awful lot of care um, mm. over the next year or two um, it's important to to say uh, in fairness it's it's uh, FIPCO's ambitions don't in, uh, don't uh, um, depend completely on what Scribe software has been doing. Um, you know, um, sales of cloud-based subscriptions to mid-sized organizations are already happening. Um, so Spotfire is is uh, one place where that's happening, but also Mashery, which is an API management tool, and um, Jasper reports, mm-hmm. and a couple of other things. Th- those are all growing quite nicely. So those are already driving subscription revenue, uh, and Subscription revenue is growing much, much faster than traditional perpetual license revenue. So that's all good. But I do think that Scribe is a really important part of this picture going forward, particularly when it comes to how it uh, how it's managed to build a, a sizable partner network and also mm. develop um, lots of really, really, um, um, really valuable licensing arrangements where the technology is essentially embedded in other products. Um, so I think... Um, you know obviously it's something that tipco really needs to focus on is getting that right and not squandering that opportunity and i also would not be i would also not be surprised if tipco were to acquire another one or two similar kinds of company um, to help it kind of accelerate this shift in the coming year or so Mm -hmm. do we do we yet
1: know um the destinations of of key personnel from from scribe after the acquisition are they being placed in 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 positions of influence to help this kind of change if that's what they're trying to get across the across the tibco company or is it too early to tell you
0: it's probably too early to tell completely but um there were some some of the key executives were at the conference um presenting so the, the people kind of really, really setting the agenda, you know, that the uh, head, mm-hmm. head, of, head of product management and people like that. Mm.
1: So watch that space and watch, watch for more of the, of the same, by the sounds of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't have any inside information
0: on that. Uh, anything, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just I, I think that if you were to go, you'd, you'd do that. Absolutely. Mm, interesting. So that's that's me, uh, and um, and so let's shift gears as we so often do, as we uh, always do, <laughs> as we always do. I'm really intrigued. To, I I caught a little bit of um, news about this um this humanity hmm. uh, and IBM um, partnership, and so I'd really yeah I'd like to get your take.
1: Okay, so um, so they're called Hugh Humanity uh, dot co. That's Hugh hyphen Manatee.co. Um I suppose it, uh, at least it's not Hugh hyphen man hyphen itty, or God help us Hugh dot manatee dot whatever, you know, d- delicious, have got so much to answer for. I was name. thinking about manatees as in those big C. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, with double E, that's double E though, isn't it, I think, manatees. Yeah. Yes, uh, no, but that would have been a great emblem, wouldn't it, great logo, I'm not quite sure what that would have connoted, but there we go. Uh, you see, you've taken me off topic already, and I'm about I, 30 seconds in. I've given you my seal of <laughs> approval. <laughs> Excellent. All right, on we go. Um, so anyway, this this little snippet um, it is going to take in a couple of uh, some of the most sort of recurring themes that we, or, or at least I, tend to cover on these podcasts, namely um, personal data, transparency and ethics, and so on, and, and blockchain. So, you know, lucky us, lucky you. What more can we ask for? Boxes ticked. Your bingo card. Boxes ticked, job done, go home. Um, so we've talked a bit, as i say, on previous occasions about uh, data privacy governance, ethics, transparency, and the like, and and the rise of the, the data self-sovereignty movement and all that kind of stuff, and how uh, customs are quite rightly becoming uh, more data literate, more savvy about the use of their their personal data is being put to, um, especially in the wake of things like the uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook and how gdpr is shining a light on small print a very large privacy policies and so on and and we've also talked about how uh, blockchain technologies might might fit into solutions that embody a, a new way of viewing uh, data ownership and sharing and access and so on how individuals might be able to exercise much more control over you know, who has access to what data and why and for how long and, and so on We've very Fine-grained permissions and, and, and something that's written more on their terms and the sort of mm. um, you know blanket agreements that really have, have governed a more of a kind of uh, wild west approach to wanton data sharing in the past. And how more uh, forward-thinking organisations can uh, can can use this, can choose to trade on this uh, on a more transparent position through much uh, clearly, much more clearly uh, articulating those various affordances of, of data sharing in respect to improved. And differentiate your services and so on. Anyway, so we've got this uh, company called humanity.co. I'm just going to have to keep saying humanity just to emphasize the hyphen. Um, (laughs) It sounds like it's it's some guy's name, Hugh, H U G H, Mr. Manatee, humanity. I'm off on one again, aren't I? Right, we're back and we're back. So, uh, humanity, who've announced uh, a project, as you said, Neil, with with IBM to develop what they're calling a, a global consent ledger. So what's that? Well, that's a a consumer-controlled, secure repository of personal data consent. Okay, not personal data, but consent about the use of personal data. It's going to be built on IBM's Hyperledger fabric-based blockchain platform. And humanity's goal is to uh, develop, this is a, a scalable platform, giving... Individual consumers the opportunity to assert their legal property ownership rights over their personal data, okay, just as they might already uh, choose to do so over other physical assets like property or cars or or maybe over intellectual property if they're in that kind of game. And so to take much more of a direct stake in a data economy, their data economy, okay. And and uh, the idea is that with such an infrastructure in place, then the consumer is in a strong position, so the theory goes, to provide their consent as to to how and where they might want to give a third party access to that data, to their personal data, Uh, whether it's in return for for, uh, a service directly or possibly monetized for their own direct benefit, maybe uh, leasing select elements of healthcare data to a pharmaceutical company that's running uh, clinical trials, uh, maybe even specifying what uh, research they'd be prepared to support, or, or, or granting access to browsing and buying data to marketers, or maybe a uh, geolocation journey data to city planners. You know, there's lots of things you can, you can imagine being put to. So all of this um, anonymized and aggregated, or, or maybe not, but, but at least that would be within the individual's control. Um, perhaps uh, an individual user could elect to demand a premium for more intrusive raw data sharing, which might lead to direct engagements as opposed to say, a lower tier uh, price tier for, for more aggregated data for which they couldn't be individually identified. Uh, and this brings to mind uh, the story of a chap called Ollie Frost. Are you familiar with Ollie Frost, Neil? Um, no, this I'm is not. Uh, a guy who attempted to auction off his entire Facebook data footprint earlier this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe ring some bells. Around the time, there was a bit of a movement around um, uh, downloading all the data that, that Facebook or Google held about you to see how thick the book was that they could choose to write about your life and only and uh this chap frost uh, decided to try and make uh, some money out of his directly or at least get some publicity uh and so he put his up on ebay uh, um so let's just not go into all the identity theft risks that he was taking or or whether his friends and family would ever speak to him again at least not digitally um since obviously facebook's uh, network effects have pulled them into the whole endeavor as well through shared photos and likes and the rest of it his his listing contained the details of every post every comment every like that he made in, in 10 years on the platform all the photos all, all his interest profile every invite all his personal content of you know, the works okay and, and what was that worth well it wasn't as priceless as you might have hoped um, the bidding wall reached the, the princely sum of 300 pounds before ebay withdrew the listing uh, citing that, alas, uh, selling access to a Facebook account was in breach of its Cs and Cs, and passed him on a note asking, please don't do this again. Um, so uh, unfortunately, that, or maybe fortunately for, for Oliver Frost's friends, that didn't actually come to pass in the end. However, uh, humanities is a much more uh, structured, secure, supported way to go about uh, taking back more control over your digital life, your, your digital assets, your personal data assets. Uh, Assuming, of course, that it can interest enough of these data consuming businesses to jump on board and sign up and cough up to gain access to the sorts of, of, of data that uh, hitherto, of course, they'd regularly been assuming they could pretty much chow down on for free in that great all you can eat data buffet of the supposedly free digital service economy, thanks to all those very lengthy T's and C's and privacy statements that we mentioned earlier. So, um They launched a a mobile app in in the US last week called uh, My31 as the the front end for its uh, data marketplace and all the kind of blockchain jiggery pokery under the hood that's gonna uh, record and share and facilitate the workings of all these data leasing leasing transactions. And that name My31, in case you're wondering, it's a little bit abstract. Uh, It alludes to the company's declaration that there should be a 31st human right. Apparently we only have 30. that's news to me, I didn't have that, but there we go. There are thirty apparently acknowledged human rights. They, they're proposing a thirty-first, which is that everybody should have the legal right to ownership of their inherent human data as property, which is a nice pitch, I suppose. Mm. Um, their app lets people uh, designate how different bits of data can be shared and with whom and under what circumstances. And they're starting with healthcare data. Uh, it's in the US, of course. Uh, and the enterprise version of uh, Humanity is due to roll out uh, early next year. Uh, for organisations that want to work with it to utilise these data consent agreements, and on its roadmap, um, Humanity's uh, intention is to use the sovereign network, which I think we have covered before. Uh, yeah. Presumably leveraging Hyperledger Indy, though that's not been made explicit. Um, I'm not sure about that. I would expect maybe something like that to to support these self-sovereign identities at some point in the future too. Now, um, as I said earlier, Humanity won't attempt to store any. Of the sensible, sorry, sensitive, uh, personal data, or sensible for that matter, on the blockchain itself, it's just going to record the individual user's ownership of that data and their sharing preferences. So it's uh, similar, if you like, to how a traditional ledger uh, would record physical property ownership. So think of it, think of it as your own personal digital doomsday book. Okay, And, and, and for listeners not familiar with medieval English history. Think of it as something that will record individual users' ownership of data and their sharing preferences. I'm not going to go into um, 1066 and all that. Um, and in an attempt to address sort of legal issues that, that Mr. Frost we heard of earlier encountered when trying to sell his uh, digital self online, uh, humanity also promises to provide further clarity by only trading in the personal data that has been released by, by the owner and, and data that the individual is indeed empowered to release. Um, said earlier I'm not entirely sure that Frost's friends necessarily agreed up front to be uh, a part of his uh, fire sale of data um, even though they will have been bundled up into whatever package you were selling anyhow. Um, so of course humanity could have looked to launch itself on pretty much any uh, of a number of blockchain platforms nowadays but I think uh, I see the other point I'm coming to I think the IBM link is an interesting one here uh, and this is something that uh, you know, you and I have mused upon in the past, a suspicion that there's some uh, positioning here by uh, IBM to put itself forward as uh, an enabler of the uh, data ethically sound platform business in the wake of what you might call some consumer disquiet about the sort of behavior and economics of certain data platform businesses. And it might possibly be because unlike, say, Google and Amazon and Facebook and Microsoft with LinkedIn and so on. IBM doesn't actually have a data platform business like that of its own, just a sort of technology platform business. And one does wonder whether it would take uh, such a stance if it was in a position to the average of swathes of user data from social transaction platforms uh, to build marketplaces and, and services and so on its own. But I, I digress. So anywho, who, here's, here's Big Blue, ostensibly standing up for data privacy and transparency and ethics and, and so on, and partnering for its blockchain service to kickstart a marketplace of informed and, and compensated uh, personal data leasing, as opposed to the rather uh, disingenuously benign notion of sharing. Uh, which sounds very fluffy, often isn't. Um, and the message, I guess, being, well, yes, that other platforms are available, but, but we're the ones standing up for the individual and their data. And so in an, in an era of increased data literacy, you know, you can trade on it. You can trade on that, have the transparency premium I you know, that you've spoken about in the past. So if this whole self-sovereign movement and the, the burgeoning awareness of what paying with data actually means does indeed take hold and it doesn't, uh, recede into being last year's scandal post GDPR headlines and post Cambridge Analytica and so on then you know IBM will look back to strong PR horse in setting up its platform for being so uh, transparency friendly if you like yeah uh, and of course the, the various hoo may prove to be a bit more of a fad as uh, consumers memories shorten and they they take the shilling of convenience because let's face it to truly take advantage of any data economy that may start to grow up around taking ownership of and responsibility for your own personal data you need to take responsibility and people have known to be how can I put this lazy when it comes to putting in the effort here however when while the um all the topic's still quite hot and anything that comes along to make this easier to do securely might just take hold then I think there's, there's every chance that it could drag more tools and practices of new Data economics with them um, into the market from from IBM, but also from other quarters. So I think interesting to watch uh, from from a number of angles in, in terms of the the whole uh, consent and self sovereignty uh, movement, but also on on IBM's position there and, and what it's stacking its blockchain platform up behind. So there we go. Yeah,
0: very cool. Oh, that's um... Yeah, I hadn't realised it was about consent to um, have data uh, shared and used. That's that's very interesting, um, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it's really interesting how these concepts kind of keep keep coming back. Um, mm. But uh, now, block, now we've got blockchain in the mix. <laughs> I remember uh, in the late nineties, I think it was Microsoft, the the sort of the heist of the dot com boom, uh, and the first kind of generation of web services, Microsoft. Um, started to develop this thing that it called uh, Project Hailstorm, which was essentially a um, a store for individuals' kind of uh, personal, uh, you know, web and e-commerce related data that that would be um, made available according to you know settings that
1: oh, you yes. use. Oh yes, okay, my, my my digital life type stuff, wasn't it? it was exactly, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
0: And uh, um, I I think you made the point there about. Um, about basically fundamentally whether any we will be bothered, and I think that's a uh, is mm-hmm. slightly slightly cynical, but also I think a very realistic position to take, right? That it it it's the genie is kind of out of the bottle, and I think it'll be a real uh, it'll take a lot of hard graft, won't it, to to really kind of re-educate people about what they should expect um, yeah. and what yeah. they should be. Um, you know what? You know, essentially educating them about their rights and and about the value of of actually taking care of of this data, not just sharing it around. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I'm guessing regulation at some point would probably uh, have a significant influence over how this develops. And um well, the challenge around regulation itself, so and it's 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 regional or yeah. or country based, isn't it, rather than being
1: global, which is a, an interesting challenge in itself. Indeed, and so, and so while all, all this data is still available to the vast majority of companies who, who are looking for, for data to feed their insights um, because of historically uh, rather asymmetrically drawn up privacy agreements that people have probably still just ticked because they've been been inundated with, with um, opportunities to uh agree to the previous conditions or, or cease to use the service uh type notifications over the last few months you know, wh- whilst that data is still in in the system uh, still in the market if you like there isn't an awful lot of impetus to go to an alternative source a more kind of ethically traded source um so it, it's a kind of supply and demand thing isn't it once once or, or if that supply dries up as you say because of regulation or or whatever then then maybe there's going to be more of a drive to to find the same quality of data elsewhere and and if something like this is available that offers it and happens to give the consumer better terms then great for the consumer but until that point you do kind of wonder apart from it being you know a good thing with a capital g and t in terms of consumer protection whether it will actually have the traction with the the companies who would pay for that data ultimately. Uh, wait and see, I think uh, it's too too early to tell whether they're gonna have that traction more broadly. Maybe in, in certain isolated places, you know, they said they're, they're starting in healthcare, so obviously that's been pretty heavily regulated in the first place. Um, so maybe there's, there's more of an opportunity there because there isn't so much out of the bag already, but we shall see, we shall see. Very cool.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time to dig into that. Very interesting. 're yeah, welcome all right all right and then, well so that that's it for today um, so today we've talked about uh, tipco and its ongoing evolution and its uh, next challenges if you like and we've also talked about uh, humanity.co co and uh, and their plan to create a global consent ledger with the help of IBM and others I think so uh, once again, Thank you so much for listening. It's always a lot of fun to do these and we're really pleased that you enjoy them. Don't hesitate to let us know if you've got any comments, feedback, ideas, um, or you'd like to be a guest on the podcast. We're always interested to hear about that. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon.